With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, it's your financial maven, Samantha Mittman-Besnoff, CPA. And after almost 25 years in the accounting world, I've decided to share my insights and passion about money. Knowing your money and hopefully feeling less stress about your money is what I call being financially empowered. Welcome to the You Are a Financial Maven podcast. Welcome to another episode of Your Financial Maven with SMB CPA. So today I'm going to shift a little bit and I'm going to draw my focus to small business owners and entrepreneurs because being financially empowered as a small business owner or an entrepreneur is just as important as being financially empowered in your own personal life. Because our small businesses, you know, they have to understand, you know, not just from a marketing standpoint or getting their product out there, whether it's a widget or, you know, something that they're selling or it's a service, but the financial side of it is very, very important. You know, not just the accounting, keeping track of money coming in and money going out, but knowing that data can also help you analyze and provide you with the tools and the knowledge to know, is this working? You know, my blood, sweat, and tears into this business. Is it working? How much time could it take me to reach the profit or the area that I want to reach when it comes to finances? And also from a funding standpoint, you know, understanding your finances in your business can help you with funding. So about four years ago, I came across a program with Bank of America and Cornell University, the Institute for Women in Entrepreneurship. And I think I took it the fall of 2018 and graduated March of 2019. So it was about a four-month program. I believe we met weekly. There were different modules to fill out, you know, things about entrepreneurship, but from marketing, finance, law, and meeting women from all over the world. And of course, amazing professors and program directors and people involved in this amazing, wonderful program. And it's grown since then. I mean, it's been about four years. It's grown exponentially. So whether you're just getting started in the entrepreneur world, you're like myself, you're kind of already involved in it, but you want to maybe change some things around. This program is amazing. So I decided I wanted to invite the program director, Kirsten Barker, on to my podcast because I wanted to talk to Kirsten about the program and about financial stuff when it comes to entrepreneurship. So Kirsten, welcome so much. I'm so excited to have you here from Bank of America's Institute of Women in Entrepreneurship. Thank you so much, Samantha. And yes, you were part of our pilot group. So we tested on you. Uh, (laughs) So so we got (laughs) it trimmed down a little bit to a 12-week thing after the pilot program, but we appreciated you going through first and feedback and making it better. Yeah. I actually liked the four months. I mean, I know that part of it was during tax season, but it gave me something to look forward to. I am really of the mindset of continuing my education. So yeah, I enjoyed it. It was fun. (laughs) 
was a lot. No, that is great feedback. So we've enjoyed putting it out there. Well, I'm really glad that you can join me. I know you went to Cornell yourself. You graduated from Cornell. You were a fintech and consulting. But I kind of want to hear from you regarding your background and how it led you to where you are now involved in the program and kind of how the program started regarding entrepreneurship and the focus on it. Great question. I graduated Cornell back in 92, started my career in New York City in, at the time it was Anderson Consulting, now Accenture, but focused in technology consulting, mainly in Wall Street. So that kind of gave me exposure to the technology side of the world in addition to having a finance background as my undergraduate degree. That led to a couple of different roles, but always kind of held the technology near and dear to my heart. Several years later, I ended up meeting up with Deborah Streeter, who's the faculty director for the Institute for Women's Entrepreneurship. She's amazing. Yeah, I have she, to say. She's she, great. <laughs> I had her, I think, from almost all the modules. I can't remember. It's been so long. And she spent her career teaching entrepreneurship, which was a big deal at the time because being yeah. a woman in that field and an academic was a lone hero. Trailblazer. Exactly. And so we ended up doing a project together back in 2008. And it involved kind of using digital media to capture knowledge. And we launched it several years before YouTube existed and then turned it into a company in 2008. Which is so wild if you think about it. Like where the internet is and social media is, it's just wild. Exactly. Oh, I mean, it's hysterical. People used to say that don't do that because no one would ever want to watch a video clip on their computer. And they're correct. No one wants to watch it on a computer. They want to watch it on their phone. So we had the unique experience of she was an academic and teaching entrepreneurship, but the two of us had an opportunity to co-found a company and spin out the technology from Cornell University and create a tech startup. So we got our feet wet being entrepreneurs by actually being entrepreneurs and built the company and subsequently moved on from that. But when it came time for the Institute to exist, which I believe was 2018, Bank of America decided to give a gift to Cornell University to create a 12-week program that was going to provide a free online certificate to anybody who wanted to apply for it. About 90% of the students in our program identify as women of color, which is pretty amazing. And I should just go on the record and say that it's called the Institute for Women's Entrepreneurship, but anybody can participate in the program. We've had men complete the program, non-binary folks. Which I think is great because I think even though it has women in the title, I think the crust of it really is the entrepreneurship piece of it. You know, it, it doesn't... Yeah, it, it's yeah. not gender specific it's to be an It's not gender specific. <laughs> so when we launched, our website went viral through several social media groups, a lot of minority women's entrepreneurship related groups. And we filled all 5,000 seats in the program, which was the initial goal of the program in 48 hours and got a wait list of 10,000 people. The bank ended up expanding their funding. So we were able to grow to 20,000 to 50,000. And as of last November, we expanded to 100,000. We have about 65,000 that have either been through the program or in the program or about to start the program. And do you think that because of the pandemic and people shifting that you found that it grew so fast Because people were shifting kind of what they could do or what they wanted to do because we kind of didn't have a choice about being like locked in and not going anywhere kind of thing. That's an awesome question. And I really think that it's been an evolution. I think in the beginning, going viral through all of these minority social media networks, if you look at the fastest growing entrepreneurship groups in the US, it's minority women. So the fact that we were going viral and that there was a demand in that community was not surprising. Then you layer in covid And the prospect of even going through the program and maybe getting started in the entrepreneur world, but like, am I going to be able to have a physical store or an online store or 
getting out to interact with people because at the time when everything shut down, we didn't know. We had no idea where this was going. And for folks who owned nail salons or restaurants or physical therapy studios, I mean, their whole business model changed for a good chunk of time. So the program became an opportunity for them to either say, well, I'm home now and this is an opportunity (laughs) or I I need to pivot. And so I need to reevaluate my business model and figure out if there's a different way to develop revenue. And you're right, this program, you're in a cohort, you're talking to people, you're learning different things, you know, and of course there's that funding piece, the financial piece, you know, there's really, it's two sides. I think there's that funding piece of how am I going to fund the business? You know, am I just going to put my own blood, sweat, tears, money into it? it. (laughs) Right, bootstrap it. Or if I'm going to have, you know, go out there and get grants and funding and stuff, you know, there's that side of it. But then there's also the entrepreneur side of running a business. Absolutely. The financial side of understanding what is revenue? What is an expense? Like, what do I do? How do I analyze all this? And I'd like to hear a little bit more about your thought process of how you wanted to build that program. Because, you know, when I talk to my clients, I try to explain to them in their own terms, not accounting terms, but like, what is sales? What is gross income kind of thing? I think it's important for anybody getting involved into business to understand the terminologies. Yeah, absolutely. It's actually funny that you mentioned that. So I didn't author that module. All of the (laughs) modules in the program were authored by Cornell faculty, and they're the ones who are present in the video and created the curriculum. But the faculty member who created the funding module, when I was QAing it, as is typical, she had a glossary at the end. And I said, you know, I really think we need to move the glossary to the beginning because a lot of people aren't necessarily going to understand some of the terminology, like you just mentioned, like revenue. What does that mean? And income, what does that mean? And pro forma, what does that mean? I think some of the initial things that we learned after the pilot was we needed to make some tweaks for having our entrepreneurs who are service-based versus product-based. Big difference. Yeah, big difference. And I think it's a lot easier to kind of work your finances when you're dealing with widgets as opposed to like consulting hours. (laughs) I agree. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm in the service business having to figure out how do you price your service to be of value. Whereas like you said, with a widget, they're physically getting something for that value. There are costs that go into that widget that are much easier to pinpoint. And I think actually women, and this is one of the things that's discussed in the finance module, is women notoriously undervalue themselves or undersell themselves. That's so interesting. I have to say that's very interesting because I was reading some articles actually for another podcast I was doing. And one of the things was talking about like five misnomers or thoughts that people have and coming from a woman's perspective and women really think that they're a burden to their families when it comes to finances. They do undervalue themselves. There's all these different things. So find it interesting that you're seeing that as well like within the program. Absolutely. Although I have to say, I was very pleasantly surprised because when we launched the program and even today, 85% of the students in the program run for-profit entities as opposed to 15% being not-for-profit. And I had this anticipation that we were going to be much more skewed towards not-for-profit because women have this attitude of giving it away. So so that was very refreshing (laughs) that we had this for-profit thing. But I have had student feedback one of the biggest comments regarding the funding module, apart from just learning the nuts and bolts and the terms and how to kind of figure out your forecasting and whatnot, is it really made me sit down and figure out what is my value, especially if I'm a service. Absolutely. Yeah. Good point. Like what is the value and not just what you can provide to the community, but the worth of what you're giving. 
Yeah. And I think for a lot of the students, the other big takeaway from the funding module was, I believe the faculty member who authored it kind of talked about funding in terms of like a bullseye target where you start at the middle with kind of maxing out your credit cards or using your savings or whatever to launch the business. And then you kind of step out and go to friends and family. And then beyond that is angel. And then beyond that, bootstrapping. Yeah, exactly. Or venture money or going to a bank or whatever the case may be, depending upon what makes the most sense to fund your business. And we do touch a little bit in that module on crowdfunding and grant availability. It's scary for people, who, especially people who are getting started yeah. in the business world. Mm-hmm. Those that are established or trying to rework it, still scary. But I think you make it a point of that initial, I have to use my own money. You know, I right. might max out my credit cards or, you know, and I'm not saying you have to. It's just that thought process of you have to start somewhere. So right. usually with this, you're going to have to probably start with your own funding and working with budgets and understanding our money so that we can feel financially empowered to kind of push ourselves a little bit. Exactly. And it is scary because, yeah, you can put yourself in a position that maybe you're a little strapped for a while. You know, you might feel a little over your head, but having those different opportunities and options beyond that, like you said, and word of mouth and getting out and trying to get funding and grants. And knowing that they exist and knowing that you can go to your local SBDC or that there are organizations, your chamber of commerce. I was just going to say chambers of commerce, you know, your small business associations. Exactly. You can go to those organizations and they have opportunities and they have ways for you to reach out. So yeah, I think it's important. But if you've never been an entrepreneur and you don't have that in your family and you're passing the Chamber of Commerce office, your local town, like you don't know what happens behind that door. So it's great for a lot of the students in the program just to kind of demystify some of that terminology and to realize it's okay to go in and ask. You kind of get yourself out there and ask because talking and asking about money can be very nerve-wracking. Deb Streeter, the faculty director for the program, had authored another program within eCornell on leadership and executive leadership. And one of the first exercises she had students do was to go into some place that you're used to visiting a coffee shop, a pizza place, something like that, and asking for something for free. And just saying like, I ordered a latte. Can you give me another latte for free? And a lot of the response of the students was, I can't do that. And her point was, so what's the worst thing that's going to happen? They're going to say no. But if you don't get used to getting out of that comfort zone, how are you ever going to negotiate for a better contract on a sale or pitch to a pitch competition or a venture capitalist? You have to kind of start somewhere. And those are the baby steps that give you more comfort in asking for what you're worth. Yeah, I agree. And also understanding your business too, understanding the money that's coming in and the money that's going out and kind of how do you use that to your advantage? Oh, and even simpler things. There was one student who completed the program who wrote a note to me afterwards and said it just encouraged her to finally separate her business and personal expenses. She had it all lumped together. Yeah. And you know, that's a good point. And that's something I've talked to a lot of my clients who are small business owners, entrepreneurs, and I say, separating business from personal expenses and finances is very important. Oh, and to your point, how do you know what things cost if you don't even know what bucket they're coming in? True, (laughs) true. Yeah, it used to freak me out when people would say, oh my God, I have it all commingled. And I'd sit there going, okay, well, what's the detail behind it so that I could separate it out and do your returns? Or And they just look at me with blank stares. Where now I just kind of go, okay, let's take a step back. 
let's breathe, let's go through everything, this is what I need. And do you find the majority of the individuals that come to the program from a financial funding aspect struggle with that? That's a great question. Uh, Just for some background, about 70% of the folks in the program have undergraduate or graduate degrees, about 28%, I think, have a highest level of education of high school. But that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, their graduate students who have a master's in fine arts aren't necessarily super-de-duper in Excel. So I think some of it is the life experience and business experience that you come into the program with. But 94% of the folks in the program have businesses that are either launching or side hustles or small and have less than $150,000 in revenue. So for a lot of these folks, they're just really starting to figure out, do I need a separate business account? I am separating out my business and my personal. So I would say probably for about 20% of them, it's new terminology and things that they haven't heard of before. But for the vast majority, it's concepts that they're familiar with, but maybe they haven't put into action yet. Or they think that's for when I get to be big time. And they don't realize, no, you have to structure the foundation like that in order to support it as you grow. No, that's a very good point. It is definitely something I say from the get-go that you really have to understand. And going back to that feeling comfortable as your business grows, whether it's a product or service, also having that confidence in looking at your value, you know, your cost-benefit ratios and all that. And if you have to increase your prices, you have to increase your prices and feeling comfortable with that and explaining it to your customers and clients. You know, and of course, especially now with the way the economy is going and everybody's yep. like, you know, eggs are like, astronomical and people are thinking, oh my gosh, but having structure and understanding that it's just important. Absolutely. And I think that once you create that foundation, you become more comfortable working with it, talking about it and you grow with it, which is really important. Yeah, definitely. Learning about the Institute for Women's Entrepreneurship, which was again funded by Bank of America and is provided through Cornell University has been great. The information you've provided regarding the program is something that I think anybody who's interested into small businesses or entrepreneurship should really take a look at. It's time for a money break. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Welcome back from our money break. So I want to actually shift a bit. This is something I have been asking all of my guests that I have. What is money? Money to me is a tool and not necessarily a measure of success, not an end goal. It is one of many tools that you have in your toolbox, as important as, you know, the network that you make and the thing that gets you up out of bed every morning to go spend your time doing at work or hobby wise or whatever, that money is just one piece of that. And I think sometimes we lose sight of that. Yeah, because A lot of people I've been talking to and several of the people I've been interviewing for the podcast, they say the same thing. Money is a tool. It is a resource. But people get stressed over it, right? I mean, there's emotion attached to it. Well, and it's great you're doing this podcast because I think people are also afraid to talk about it. You're right. It's hard. And I think from a business aspect, you know, you're creating your business. I think it's okay to talk about money and you're using it as a tool. 
Absolutely. And I think we're seeing that more. I mean, I've read articles about the fact that now it's becoming less taboo for people, especially women, to ask each other, like, what's your salary? Am I getting completely underpaid at the job that I'm at sitting next to the cubicle of somebody who's out earning me, even though I've been here longer? I mean, those are important conversations to have that have been off the table for a long time. Absolutely. People really need to understand that because, yes, it can be emotional and stressful, but kind of have to put it in the toolbox with all the other things. And with regards to money being tool, I also want to ask you, and this is something that I like to get to know as well from my guests, is what is your money story? How did you begin to learn about money as you were growing up? Two stories. The first story is kind of a bizarre one, but my father in the, so I'm a little bit older, so this was in the 1970s. My father did a lot of global travel, which was not the standard at the time, but his kind of gift to me when he came home from these round the world trips for his job, he would bring me currency from different oh, cool. countries, whether, and we're talking about like, you know, the equivalent of probably like 25 cents or something. But to me, it was a big deal to get these coins and different bills. And I think that helped kind of define money as a tool because I realized all money didn't look like US money and that currency means different things to different countries and has different things tied to it emotionally because you're looking at like the different art on the dollar bills or whatever they were. I hate to say this, and not that I don't think American money isn't neat to look at, but when you look at like England, yeah, you (laughs) look at England or you go to another country and you just, like you said, you see that artwork on it. Like, yeah. yeah. But I think as, you know, like a five-year-old, six-year-old kid, it just makes the world a lot smaller in a way. And you realize the power of how we're all connected and kind of how commerce (laughs) drives things. Very true. um, It begins some discussions that probably wouldn't have necessarily happened until much later in my life. So that was kind of a cool beginning. And then the big takeaway that I had growing up was that my parents both encouraged me to have, well, my dad said it was an FU fund, but more politely (laughs) defined as a freedom fund. Oh, I love that. (laughs) And I think part of that was because I was a young woman yeah, and it's just safer to operate that way. But what he meant by that was to always have three to six months of savings so that I could say FU to a bad relationship, to a city, to an employer and be able to walk away and not be handcuffed to that specific professional or emotional relationship because I had a financial need to stay there. Yeah. Oh, I love that. An FU fund. I really love that. (laughs) I think I'm going to have to start having a jar on my counter. Exactly. FU jar. That's right. (laughs) My boys will probably be like, what is that? Oh, But, you know, I think that also reinforced the fact that money is a tool and they weren't trying to say that to like, you know, go save up so that you can go on a fancy vacation. They were saying money is a tool, have the tool available. And if you ever need the hammer to break the glass and get out, you have it. I think that's great. I do want to know if there's any other insights or anything you want to talk about else when it comes to money, whether you're being an entrepreneur or getting started or, you know, for a young adult. So I actually have my two children. Well, they're not, they're man children now. I mean, one, <laughs> I one have is- man children too, <laughs> yes. <Exactly. laughs> one is in college and one is in grad school. So they're at an age now where they're still kind of in this transition place of being kind of on my tax return, but no longer being my financial dependence. But the one thing that I've tried to instill in them is the importance of, I guess, two things. One is paying themselves first. And what I mean by that is kind of ties into the second point of being able to ask questions. I think a lot of times when you start a new job, they hand you the HR benefits package and you either kind of gloss over or you think, well, I'm supposed to know all these things. So I'll pretend like I understand it. And the reality is like, 
how would you ever understand what a 401k plan was until somebody explained it to you, unless you're actually going to read all the fine print? Right. But, and some people do. Some people do, which is good. But I mean, I think a lot of folks are just like, well, that's not me. I'm not retirement age. I'm in my 20s. Like, why would I do that now? Or like a flex spending account. Like, I'm not sick. Why would I need that? And taking the time to go and sit with somebody in HR or talk to your parents if they have that skill set or talk to somebody that you know personally who is a financial advisor. And being comfortable asking those questions, even if it's not to HR. Yeah. And not realizing that you're not stupid for not knowing, but that by not taking advantage of it, you're actually leaving money on the table, that your salary isn't 100% what you get in your W-2. I mean, a lot of it is your employer contributing to a retirement plan. If you're able to do pre-tax dollars for flexible savings, taking advantage of all of those opportunities is increasing your income. And that's why I say it sounds selfish, but to actually take the time and get what they're offering you, pay yourself. Absolutely. I agree with you on that because I think it's important to have that understanding because people don't realize your take-home pay is probably going to be a lot different than what your actual salary Absolutely. is. And asking those questions. Yeah, it's a good point. Yeah. But I'm just so glad I was able to become connected with you through the program. It's been a great joy of being part of this to meet so many amazing entrepreneurs doing great things and then continuing education for other people by what you're doing. No, I appreciate that. I'm so glad you allowed me to interview you. And I know it's a little bit from what I normally do, but I think it's important for people to hear the business side of things and that there's some parallels when it comes to your funding and your money to a degree, there's parallels, but just, you know, feeling confident. So I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your time. Well, thank you. And if any of your listeners are entrepreneurs, we still have spaces in the program. They can come to the website. It's a institute, bofainstitute.cornell.edu. And there's a button to click where they can join a wait list. We actually also offer the program in Spanish. So if any of your listeners have friends that would benefit by taking a program in Spanish, that's actually rolling enrollments at any point. There's no wait list for that and grab the seats while they still exist. <laughs> no, I love that. And I will put the link in the description so that people have that because I do think it's a great opportunity. Even if you're not sure if you want to become an entrepreneur, but you have an idea, I mean, sign up, get on the wait list because the program has really enlightened me and helped me kind of realign some of my stuff that I do. And I've been in business almost 10 years. Yeah, and learning is never wasted. I want to hear from you. Do you have questions about money? Would you like to share your money stories with me? Like a time when you felt really stressed about money? Visit www.yourfinancialmavenpodcast.com and leave me anything you want to tell me about money. The purpose of this podcast is to provide general information on the subjects discussed. It is for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. You should consult your CPA, accountant, or tax professional for all of your specific financial needs or situations. Credits. Producer, Your Financial Maven, LLC, and Samantha M. Besnoff, CPA. Music, composition, writing, and recording by my amazing cousin, Dan Shore. Podcast editing by Chris Zarnock of KM Zen Creative. A special thank you to the Seneca Women Podcast Network and iHeartRadio and to PNG and MasterCard for creating and sponsoring the inaugural class of the Seneca Women Podcast Academy. A special thank you to my mentor, Katrina Norvell, 
for guiding and giving me the confidence that I needed when I didn't think I could do this. A special thank you to all of the women who are also a part of the Seneca Women Podcast Academy. You are some of the most amazing, brilliant, bright women that I know, and I am so blessed to be a part of this group with you. I am so excited for all of your podcasts and where things will go for all of us. And a very special thank you to all of my family and my friends. You know who you are. Without your love and support for me and my life-changing aspirations, I would not be where I am today. Thank you. Your Financial Maven is a production of the Seneca Women Podcast Network and iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.